Hey, it's Greg Brady with the Election Day edition of Toronto Today. Today, Election Day. That's it. That's why it's called that. September 20th. Thanks for checking out the podcast. We start with thoughts on what to look for tonight. There's a lot of trends in the polling that will see if they bear themselves out. Polls are tricky, right? 2016 U.S. presidential election. The polls weren't right. Some of the polls in 2020 weren't right. We know the polls for Brexit and the U.K.'s exit from the European Union were also not right. So, yeah, really intriguing stuff, and we get there going in deep on some of the numbers. I think you'll like that. Farah Nasser will join us on the panel tonight, running uh, on t- the election panel for the province of Ontario. Uh, we will also talk to Chris Jancelowicz, uh, entertainment writer, about the Emmy Awards. Two criticisms of it from a lot of people. One, it's kind of a boring ceremony. This is what award shows seem to be getting criticized for in the COVID era, and I'm not sure we have solutions for that. And then... Not diverse enough, not in terms of the, not necessarily in terms of the nominations, but in terms of who won. Not sure how we control that, but it's a conversation. Sure it is. The Fantastic Four, we take a subject that we're ready to debate, and this year is about voting age and whether we should lower it from 18 in Canada. And we do what happened when on this day, September 20th. Things we remember and things we sure don't. That's coming up on the Toronto Today podcast. Thanks for checking it out. It is election day. I think you woke up feeling differently. I think you know that it is. And I'm curious to get your read on this. Uh, via text, we'll uh, we'll say phone calls until tomorrow because I'm sure you're going to want to weigh in and react to everything you've seen, everything you've heard. And I'll get to more about how you can hear it in a little bit. But I'm asking, you might have been frustrated by this election that you were hearing about it, that people were in your neighborhood knocking on your door, the nerve to knock on your door. Who does that these days? Unless it's one of your kids' friends, no one should knock on anyone's door. Um, or unless it's your next door neighbor uh, and he's bringing back like a, like a, like a, mit- a, a power saw or something like that, or a, uh, you know, a tire gauge or something. I, I tend to be more Simpson than Flanders keeping those things. And then I realize I've got it and I go to the neighbors and I say, here it is here. I, I borrowed this three months ago. Our text number is 289-975-1640. Regardless of what you thought about the election, do you have an energy that it's here? You might be happy it's here because you want some change. Maybe it's even in your own riding and you want to make a statement. Maybe you're just relieved that it's over. I don't think there's any question. We've taken our eye off the ball on some things during this election that we've got to keep our eye on. Okay. Calling an election. This seemed to be about power and influence. I'm not sure what else it was about. This seemed only for the purposes and under the guise of, well, we need to keep going in the right direction towards we have a minority. We want a majority. I don't know another way to view it than that. I try not to be a cynical human being. You know that. Try and accentuate the positive. I like data. I like numbers. I don't want to go too far one direction and and make things about emotion. But you might be feeling the emotion that you're ticked off the election happened. Does that mean you're voting today? Does that mean you aren't? 289-975-1640 via text. So I promised five bullet points uh, last hour on what I see on 338 Canada. This site's great. You drill down into the numbers. It'll tell you who they think, via percentage-wise, will win each riding. How it's done, I don't know, but they were remarkably accurate. I don't get a dollar from them for saying it. I don't want a dollar from them for saying it, but they were remarkably accurate in 2019 with the federal vote projection and the odds of winning. So all I'll say is this, and I mentioned it earlier, um, even before 6 o'clock, so it's worth reciting. 
even in the riding of Spadina, Fort York, we've got something remarkably intriguing. Kevin Vuong was dropped by the liberals as a candidate. We talked about him on the show Friday, and a ton of you had reaction to this story. And uh, I, I mentioned we, we went out for dinner. Two couples went out for dinner, on, uh, and I was in that couple. I was one of four people. Uh, 25%. And I, we talked about this story for a good half an hour. So he's charged with sexual assault in early 2019. He's in a relationship. It's alleged by the person he was in a relationship with that while she was sleeping, untoward, unwanted, non-consented things were happening. And she told him to stop. She goes to the bathroom, calls a friend, get over here. The friend comes over. The friend asks Kevin Vuong to leave. This is again, uh, this, this this is only the one side of the story here, but it's a side that we always have to listen to. Of course, that's the case. So Vuong does leave. Later, he's charged with sexual assault. Seven months later, after the charges, she goes to the police and says, I can't go through with the with the idea of a trial. And I, I want the charges dropped. I'm not going to cooperate. And, the, and, the, and obviously the cops and the prosecutor say, well, we don't have a case. If she can't cooperate, the charges get dropped. So two years later, he's running for the liberal, um, you know, seat in Spadina, Fort York. And she comes back to Toronto at a certain point in time. The alleged victim sees his signs, sees his name. She knows who he is. She sees his picture, sees the signs and says, well, that's not right. And she contacts the Toronto Star very late in the election. But that's fine. Um, And says, here's my story. And she lays out the story now. One of two things is happening here. Either Kevin Vuong is a completely innocent bystander, did nothing wrong, was wrongfully accused, charges dropped, and told the Liberal Party about this incident. If that's the case, he shouldn't have been dropped by the Liberal Party. Okay? And the Liberal Party is doing him wrong if all that is true. If any of that isn't true, he shouldn't have been the candidate. If any of it, what I said is true. If he did what he's accused of doing, or he didn't give full disclosure to the Liberal Party, then he shouldn't. Then he shouldn't be running. And the Liberals had every right to drop him. His story after tonight. Now he's still forecast to win. He would sit as an independent. But I don't know if that's going to happen. I don't know how updated, uh, as good as 338 uh, Canada is. I don't know how updated that is when they say the Liberals are likely to win this seat. Here's some of the things I spotted yesterday on the website that I think are interesting because, again, you could fiddle around on there forever and, uh, and, and you know, not come to tremendous conclusions because it's so database. It's so it, it, it's so playable, if you will. The website is here are the things that I spotted the increase in the People's Party of Canada. It's going to have an impact on seats. I know it is. I know it is. OK, um, that's the interesting thing. Let's say and I, I think we'll be ready for this by tomorrow. If four or five PPC votes went to the CPC, let's let's not be silly and say all every PPC voter would otherwise vote for the conservatives. Someone voted all. Some might vote for the liberals. So how many extra seats does the conservative party of Canada grab if four or five PPC votes go to them in each riding? I want to do that math tomorrow. I want to see that math. I want to do that math. I want to have that math ready for you. And it may not be tomorrow, given some writings may still be too close to call her up in the air. But the PPC aren't a joke. It doesn't matter what you think of their views. It doesn't matter what you think of their place in Canadian democracy and debate. They are a thing. There's no question about it now. 
next election. Is Maxine Bernier standing there on every same debate stage? Is he getting every bit of airtime that the other candidates are? And should he? Questions for another day. I'm just telling you what I see now with these numbers and this data. CPC support in Ontario. That's what to watch. Where is it coming from? Where are they picking up seats? There's no doubt they'll pick up some seats. Last time out in 2019, seats were 79 for the Liberals, 36 for the Conservative Party, and 6 for the NDP. That's a weak result for the NDP. So they're going to improve on that. 338 says the Liberals will lose 8 seats, the Conservatives will gain just 5, and the NDP will gain 3. So it'll go 71-41-9. That's a terrible result for the Conservative Party of Canada in Ontario. That's a really bad result. If they don't get 44, 45 seats tonight, they screwed up in in Ontario and didn't get the job done. Okay? Maybe not like last time, but Aaron O'Toole was painted as Ontario guy, 905 guy. We've, We've got to finally elect a premier from Ontario. Little do we realize again, and little did they document, Stephen Harper was spent much of his life in Ontario, but whatever. Now, let me go to Alberta. No seats for the Liberals. (laughs) Not a chance. They're not winning a seat. They didn't win one last time either in 2019. But here's what I find interesting. The popular vote was 13.8% in 2019 for the Liberals. Some are saying they're going to increase their vote percentage. Wow. Like that, that struck me until I drilled down a little bit deeper. Um, does that, does it feel like Justin Trudeau is more popular in Alberta than two years ago? It doesn't feel like he's more popular across the country than two years ago, but you can't go by the loudest, angriest Albertans because there's been a reverse course and people are looking at premier Kenny going, buddy, you screwed up the pandemic. We went endemic too soon. We did this. We did that. Some of this was wrong. Now we'll all have to go endemic eventually. You know this, right? Like you do realize that this is an endemic virus. This COVID zero business that people were talking about eight months ago is impossible. Look at even the struggles Australia and New Zealand are having right now. But we've got the vaccines. That's what we've got. But more importantly, the problem with Alberta, you know this and I know this, they didn't get vaxxed fast enough. There are hundreds of thousands of adult Albertans that have been running around with less restrictions than we've had here in Ontario since the spring. That's why they're in the trouble they're in. And it's why we're not going to be in the trouble Alberta's in. How many conversations have you had in the last 72 hours? Oh, are we going to become like Alberta? I'm telling you, I'm slamming the table. I'm hammering my fist into the table. Absolutely not. And that's not an emotion that's based on the data. That's talking to smart epidemiologists saying no chance, zero chance. Again, don't let policy get dictated by somebody who wants his name in the newspaper. Don't get let policy get dictated. Don't let your personal household policy get dictated by somebody that's the most alarmist or concerned person on your street. Do the work. Drill down into the numbers. We're not going where Alberta's going. Period. Plain and simple. The Greens. Got two more points to make. The Greens. Total non-factor. The, the, uh, this just did not go well. And they never got they never got on track this election. You heard Dr. Cam mention it last hour. Um, no one's voting on the environment. The environment feels like my biggest issue, but if you're voting for the environment, you're voting for the NDP. You are, okay? Um, It's a huge benefit for the NDP. There's been dysfunction, disorganization. It's a throwaway vote to vote for the Greens. I don't want to tell you that that's the case. That's what the analysts are telling you. I'm not happy about that. The Greens are a, a Green Party is a valid political force in a lot of countries, a lot of Western European democracies. So far, it isn't here. They've got to get their stuff together. And they haven't for this election, okay? Disorganized. 
Annamie and Paul's got to win her own riding before she can help out in other riding. She's going against Marcy Ian, right? It, the liberal in, um, in that Cherry Beach area there. Or Regent Park area, I should say. Now, last thing for me on this. The final tally has the liberals winning 10 fewer seats than 2021. 10. Okay, that's their final tally on 338. They see 147 for the liberals, 127 for the conservatives, 32 for the NDP, 31 for the bloc. So what's that mean? How does it change? I think that's more a conversation to, for tomorrow, but it will be eminently frustrating. Justin Trudeau, will he speak in platitudes or will he speak in frankness? Would more Canadians appreciate him saying, you know what, maybe I shouldn't have called this election, but we're going to do the best we can and we're going to push forward in the next 18 months. I don't know. I'm less likely to think that's happening than more likely to think that's happening. But this specter looms large. You can't keep going minority, minority, minority election every two years. It's costly. It's it's something the United States does so much better. They, they mandate when their elections are, regardless of how much you win by, and they give you choices on the ballot that's more than just marking one X. And we don't do that. So that's the final forecast. Man, maybe with the green grabbing one seat, I should mention that. Want to get your thoughts? Lots of people saying, I'm into this election now. I was apathetic before. I've got the energy for it. If you do, don't forget tonight, Decision Canada. Starts at 7 o'clock, commercial-free, right here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. We'll carry it. It's on, obviously, uh, the Global TV app, the Global News uh, YouTube channel, and right here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto and on the main network later on in the evening. you got Donna Friesen, Mercedes Steven ho- uh, Stevenson hosting, the excellent Eric Soriston, our national affairs correspondent. I grew up watching that guy on uh, TV London in London, Ontario. Uh, Farah Nasser, who will join us about 12 minutes from now on. Chief political correspondent David Aiken. Our own Alex Pearson uh, will be giving analysis along with many, many others. Want you to watch, want you to participate, and we'll wrap it all up tomorrow for you uh, on the morning show on Toronto Today. All right, Global News' Far Nasser, uh, part of Decision Canada tonight, will uh, set up the coverage this evening, get her thoughts on the last six weeks of an up and down and back and forth campaign. It's all finally over. Um, and great news for parents who want to get kids under 12 vaccinated. Dave Bradley's got that in the newsroom. Yeah, Pfizer said today its COVID-19 vaccine works for kids age 5 to 11, and it's going after U.S. authorization for emergency use for this age group by the end of this month. And right now it's only approved for children 12 and older, but for elementary school-age kids, Pfizer tested a much lower dose, a third of the amount that's in each shot right now. And they say those kids saw antibody levels just as strong as teenagers and young adults and with fewer of the side effects, which is great news. Of course, today is election day voting starts at 9 30 this morning almost 6.8 million people voted early most of them in advance polls over a week ago the rest through special ballots cast by mail or at elections canada offices when you go to vote today you're encouraged to wear your mask and you could be in for longer than normal wait times especially early in the day proof of vaccination though does not apply at polling stations in any province and there's no clear leader with the latest poll showing the liberals and conservatives locked in a dead heat we're only days away too from vaccine passports coming into play here in this province but alberta is giving us an idea of what not to do today is day one for a vaccine certificate program in that province they're using a downloaded pdf that can be easily edited so you can add in any information you'd like awesome go full ferris bueller change your marks (laughs) exactly yeah so they're gonna have to do some fixing on that one
Good work, Albertans, uh, as we often This should be a bumper sticker uh, for that. Thanks for that, Dave. No problem. We'll hear from Dave Bradley, top of the hour, leading into Kelly Cotrera's show. Tonight, uh, the show of all shows, it's Decision Canada starting at 7 o'clock. Commercial-free, continuous coverage all over, uh, whether it's the Global TV app, globalnews.ca, right here on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto, and uh, handling the election night panel. We've, of course, got Donna Friesen and Mercedes Stevenson uh, anchoring, but handling the election night panel will be our own Global Toronto's Far Nasser. It's great to have you on. Thanks very much for making the time. Long day ahead, but these these are the days that get your adrenaline flowing, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely. I don't even know if I slept last night. It's one of those things. We've been in rehearsals all weekend, and uh, yeah, looking forward to the show tonight. And, and, and you're working, I'll tell you, you're working with uh, Eric Sorensen, our senior national affairs correspondent, who I watched as a uh, little kid in London, Ontario, be London, Ontario's news anchor at 6 and 11. But he doesn't look any different than he did in 1987. So, I, you know, it's an off-air thing, but I, I will ask some beauty secrets if I ever uh, if I ever run into Eric in the hallway. I don't know how he does it. He has not changed. You're absolutely right. <laughs> He's one of the nicest people. He's so wonderful. So, uh, yeah, it's great to learn from him and work with him. So the, these last six weeks, it's really interesting. I, we're finding today on text fair. I don't know anecdotally if you could speak to it, but you've talked to a, a lot of the candidates. You, uh, you, you've done the interviews. You've talked to people uh, on, on the ground in the writings. The one thing I'd say is people frustrated maybe by the election call, but yeah, like people who are politically uh, motivated during a pandemic, they do care about what the next next 18 months to two years uh, look like. They are, I think, are, we're going to have really good numbers in terms of voting. We had huge numbers already go to the advanced polls. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, perspective because I, I'm wondering whether people are actually going to go to the polls. I'm hearing from people, too, that they're undecided and didn't vote in the advanced polls. And so they're waiting for today. A lot of I, I spent a lot of time talking to undecided voters uh, during the I talked to them in Vancouver, I talked to them in Toronto. And many told me, actually, I think all of them said that they're voting strategically. They're going to look at the very end. Uh, some of them, it, you know, it's, the whole thing is about getting Trudeau out. So they're going to see how the best position to do that, which, you know, um, likely at this point would be the conservatives. And um, then there's, you know, people who are just trying to keep, keep uh, you know, Trudeau in and, and were maybe voting for the NDP, but are are uh, or tr- trying to keep the progressives in and are going to vote for, for Trudeau today. So, I mean, I, I'm curious because there's a lot of experts who are saying, Greg, that voter turnout won't mm. be high this election. That people have too much on their plates, too much going on right now with COVID, with life, with back to school and all that, all that type of thing. So, so let's see what voter turnout, because it really will influence this election. We know the NDP's voter turnout um, or ground game isn't as good as the Conservatives, uh, for example. So we'll see what happens. It's it's uh, it's the one thing we talked to Jugmeet Singh on Friday uh, on the show, and it does look like it's going to be an improved performance. I mean, that was sort of understated that the NDP had a disappointing result. But Jugmeet Singh's hit the ground running. He's been able to point to the last two years and say this didn't get done. That didn't get done, even in a pandemic. Um, I think the NDP is growing. It's just a question of how much and, and whether they're still sort of in that kingmaker role in a liberal minority government. Yeah, and which way that they go. I mean, they, they left it, he left it open in our interview as well. I'm sure you, you asked him that mm-hmm. as well or, or have heard about it. Like he, he just, he left it very wide open. And yeah, he, he they had that sweet spot, the NDP, where they, where they sit. Um, the other interesting thing in terms of his showing is, you know, he, he's, he has this authenticity about him, right? Like I interviewed all the leaders except for O'Toole because uh, we didn't, he, they didn't give us the interview. But um, they, you know, he doesn't have a guard up when he does an interview. He really seems like he's just having a conversation. Even when he comes out of the car, he's just that kind of guy. But will that translate to votes? Likeability is one thing, but are people going to go to the polls? See a two-hour lineup today and think, 
I like Jagmeet. Do I like him enough to wait for two hours? I don't know. So that's <laughs> well, there's two. Uh, there's always two new Democratic Party questions. I think Farah that you get in and you say, "Can my candidate win in my riding?" And how will they pay for all this? Because it, it is very idealistic. It, there's something in it for everybody. But eventually, at the end of the day, people who have their own household bills that that are juggling things, um, they say, "What's it going to cost? And will it cost me more in taxes?" They ask these practical questions. And I don't know if he's done enough to address it. Like, I don't know if the mm-hmm. costing, I don't know if the money, you know, it's, it's again, you're right. You're, you're totally right. I mean, that's the downfall of the party of, of all these great promises, but how to pay for it. And, and again, I, I'm not sure if they, that calculation was right in terms of being able to explain that. That maybe should have been the top thing because people who are kind of soft, MVP, liberal, kind of going back and forth, they're the ones who want to hear this. Farah Nasser is our guest. She'll run the uh, Global News Election uh, Night Panel tonight with Eric Sorensen, David Aiken, of course, uh, using the touchscreen technology with the riding uh, results. As I said to him last week, you're going to be you're going to be Canada's John King, and there's nothing wrong with that. The long hours, the sweat on the brow as you're doing all the uh, all the touchscreen stuff. Um, I, I I'd love to ask you about the PPC. You know, one thing I was dead wrong about two years ago. I think people looked and thought, okay, Maxime Bernier is a bit bitter with how it ended with the Conservative Party. He's out for a little revenge. He didn't get it. This drifts away. It hasn't. I don't know what the full influence the pandemics had on this and the concept of, well, the the freedom concept that the PPC pitches. But far, it, it's here. It's a thing, as I say. And they're polling between six and, and upwards of nine percent. They're going to be a thorn in a lot of conservative uh, candidates uh, sides tonight. This is so interesting. This is like, like you said to me, this factor is fascinating. So in Alberta, it's not going to likely make a difference in terms of seats, right? Because we know Alberta generally votes blue, but it will make a difference in margins, right? So mm-hmm. going into 2019 or in after the 2019 election, the popular vote was 80% for the conservatives. Going in, the polling is showing it's 40% right now because of that PPC vote. And Aaron O'Toole made the calculation that, you know, we can rely on our base in the West. We can rely on our base. We're going to try to court these progressives. What's at the right cal- calculation? What happens to the conservative party if the, you know, if the uh, PPC makes headway? Other really interesting thing about the PPC personally that I, I'm, I'm really, I've been so shocked about it. Maybe I shouldn't be, but it's, you know, the, the, the anti-vaccine movement before was seen as more of a left-wing thing, right? So it's not just people who are on the right. They are, they've gotten people from the left. They've gotten people from the right. And the other shocking thing is the diversity. Maxine mm-hmm. Bernier has made some very troubling comments in the past, uh, comments that have personally offended me. And he, mm-hmm. but, but there's still people who are from diverse backgrounds who are supporting this party, which, yeah. It's surprising to me. Yeah, the the numbers are going to be interesting tonight. The reaction uh, is going to be fascinating. Uh, I've got a text in that's asking you a specific question from Sean and Mark. And he says, ask Farah what her expectations are for delayed results. You've heard what I've heard, that some of the results in some ridings, um, as we saw last year, we were in Washington um, for the U.S. election, and it took a day and a half for this state to turn and three days for that state to turn. Do you expect a big delay tonight in in knowing where we're going? So I'm, I'm really uh, glad that question's being asked because I think it's such an important one. There, there's mixed reaction on that. I mean, we had tons of advanced voting. The mail-in voting was not what Elections Canada expected. And then you have to remember where these votes are coming from because that's such a big part of it, right? So the mail-in voting is mostly progressive votes, a lot of it from Vancouver Island. When we look, when we did a writing breakdown, when we look at advanced polls, that's traditionally, as you may know, conservative, right? So that's where those votes are going to come from. And then, you know, it, it those don't start being counted until tomorrow. So it really really depends. That question can't be answered until we see how close it is. How close is it going to be tonight? And hence, judging from all the polls, it's going to be very, very close. 
Seven o'clock start tonight. The coffee's brewing. Thanks for doing this for us this morning. Yeah, pleasure to talk to you. Take care. Far joining us. She'll uh, she'll be handling the election night panel tonight. It's Donna Friesen, Mercedes Stevenson anchoring. Okay, eager to talk Emmy. So let's take several minutes to do it. By the way, uh, Ted Lasso did great last night. I want to play you a clip. This is no question my new celebrity crush, and I can't wait to get Shiva Siddiqui's perspective on this. Hannah Waddingham plays the owner of uh, of um, of of the Richmond team in uh, Ted Lasso. This was her acceptance speech. She's amazing. I wish she was in everything. I wish we were having lunch today. Here she is talking about winning the Emmy. Jesus Christ on a bike. Sorry. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I'm not responsible for anything that falls out of my face in the next 30 seconds. Jason, you've changed my life with this, and more importantly, my baby girls. I'm honestly, I'm so privileged to work with you. I really am. Oh my God, I'm giving a speech to the Emmys! <laughs> Juno Temple! <laughs> Jesus, she's heavy. I swear to God, if I could break off one of her arms and give it to you, because that's what you are to me. There's no Rebecca without Keely, and if you ever leave my life, I'm going to stalk you. I'm good if Keely's not on the show. That might be a, uh, a bit of an odd take. That's Rebecca oh. Weldon from Ted Lasso. Uh, Shiva Siddiqui joins me now. Now, do you like the show? Do you do you like uh, Rebecca? Do you like I, Hannah? I love Ted Lasso. It's been he, this show has been getting me through this phase of the pandemic. So, like every day, I think we're we're starting to binge binge watch it. Starting to ignore the kids at home a little bit. So maybe we need to slow down on it. But we're halfway through season two and i am loving it have you seen it i love it yeah we watch every now really disappointing episode last friday that i don't uh we won't have time for me to get into but it's weird um and and there's a reason behind it uh let's bring uh in uh chris jancelowicz uh to talk about it with us global news entertainment reporter chris great to have you on a any massive surprises for you last night well, for me, it was uh, pretty dull. I have to say Hannah's speech at the beginning was really high energy. And I thought, oh, great, this is going to be, you know, it's a sign of things to come. It's going to be really lively. And, and then, no, it was not. Um, however, uh, I have to say the biggest surprise was um, Tobias Menzies winning Best Actor Drama for playing uh, Prince Philip in The Crown. Uh, that one seemed right out of left field for me. Um, also in that category, you had Michael K. Williams, uh, who just passed yes. away. Um, that would have been a perfect opportunity to... Uh, give him a little tribute and maybe a little montage, you know, the, the opportunity was right there. But no, they went with the most unexpected winner in that category. Not so not unlike Chadwick Boseman not winning the Oscar when everyone expected that as the last category of the night. And people were shocked that he didn't win. You know, it was exactly the same. It was yeah. a very good point. It was similar. Oh, my God. It's horrible. Um, give me a sense. Um, award shows in general are are scrutinized a ton more uh, under COVID, and I'm seeing these headlines now. Um, Emmys take step back in diversity with no wins for acting during main telecast. Uh, RuPaul did win an award. There was a great writer award one for uh, Michaela Cole and uh, Ashiba and I were just saying. I think Ted Lasso, even though it's about English soccer, has a very diverse cast. It sure puts two women front and center, but I get that it doesn't check every single box. How do you feel about some of that criticism? Well, as the award show was going on, I'm like, wow, this is, uh, you know, there's a lot of diverse nominations, um, but there certainly aren't a lot of diverse winners. Uh, and it was really, really notable because you had uh, multiple uh, award presenters uh, who are people of color, you know, black people, and then you had all the winners were white. So it was, you know, just incredibly, it started to get really uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was just a mix of discomfort and awkwardness, I found, the entire ceremony. Um, and then... You know, uh, Seth Rogen at the beginning was funny. And then, you know, Hannah, again, like I said, Hannah's speech was great. And then it just kind of descended from there. 
I'd have to agree with you. I did feel it was also very awkward there. I mean, I did notice, you know, the primarily white winners with the people of color that were handing out the awards. I wish there had been more diversity in it. That being said, I am a huge fan of Mayor of Easttown, and I do love that Kate Winslet one. I think she fully deserved that. She did a phenomenal job in that show. Doesn't that feel weird, like kind of a trip back to the 90s? You had Kate Winslet winning uh, <laughs> limited series, and then you had Ewan McGregor winning Best Actor limited series. It's just, it's just, I'm like, what era am I in? Like, I just, it felt strange to me. I know too, though, if you're going to have a show, and, and Sheba and I are big, uh, big royal, royal lights, if you're going to have a show about the, um, I don't know, the British royal family, don't expect a lot of diversity. They're kind of known for their lack of diversity for decades and centuries. So if you're going to do a show about them, you're not going to, it's going to be pretty white. It's, it's going to lo- look a lot like the bread that you buy sometimes. Honestly, that's a great point. Uh, of course, <laughs> you know, you can't really change that. Um, and then they were nominated for so many things. So uh, it's really not surprising that the crown took a ton of awards last night. It's such a good show, though. Like, I can't wait for the next season. Now that Diana's coming in, she's getting her own, you know, they've introduced her. I can't wait to see what happens next. And I do find that the acting is phenomenal in that show. Absolutely stellar. Yeah, fully agree. I have to say that I'm a little disappointed that my genre favorites, you know, The Mandalorian, WandaVision, uh, really didn't take anything home. So uh, I'm a bit upset about that. Not surprised. Genre television generally doesn't uh, win or get much respect, uh, which is a shame. But uh, maybe next time. Maybe next time. Chris Jancelowitz is joining us uh, with Greg Brady, Shiba Siddiqui on uh, Toronto Today, 831. I, I just want to ask you about the shows in general, since uh, obviously we've had two things happen at the same time. One is a bit of a, a, a reckoning, no doubt, with race, with sex, and and absolutely better things need to be done. It's not going to, the results won't go, go a certain way every year, but we've got to have more diversity in voting and presentation of the show. The other thing is um, the, the struggle of missing out on a live audience, missing out on, I mean, the Oscars were really rough for me, not just because of the, the films nominated were took an utterly depressing turn this year. There was not much that was uplifting, but the ceremony itself, it just outside of Glenn Close shaking it uh, for uh, a good 38 seconds, nothing really grabbed me. No pun intended. Uh, are you struggling with the concept of how we make these award shows work in this era also? Yes, uh, that's an excellent point, too. I'm starting to wonder if we're watching the slow decline, um, the slow death, actually, of award shows in real time. Um, just, they're dull. Um, nothing really seems to liven them. All the bit pieces are so bad. Like, they're not funny whatsoever. In fact, they're more awkward than anything. Um, I, always, I just wanted to scream at the TV last night and be like, you know, anyone, any winner, you know, it's, it's fine if you want to thank your agent. It's fine if you want to thank your wife or your husband. But, you know don't go off on a list of people that no one's ever heard of. Send them an email after, you know, this is your moment to shine. You have, you have 30 seconds to a minute. Why are you leaving off a list of strangers? You know, you're not, it's not interesting for people. You have, you know, just do it. Come up with something oh. original and great, you know? Chris, that being said, when you're up on that stage, it might be your first and your very last time. I can imagine that you want to make the most of it and you want to name everybody's grandmother and your third grade teacher. And you're just not even thinking and you're just overcome with excitement. That being said, I- are you guys ready for October 17th? Um, that's two weeks Come before on. Halloween. What happens? How do we not know what's happening October 17th? Don't. Succession. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah. I am what? counting down. Spe- speaking of non-diverse casts also, uh, Succession. <laughs> the whitest show on earth. <laughs> now, well, next to Friends. I mean, that Friends reunion, it leaped off the page to me. I'm like, 
yeah, yeah, you probably can't cast friends that way in 19. It's not 1994 anymore. You can't, you can't do what they did in 1994 and 2021. I get it. Yeah, just to see this just keeps mm. happening, right? Same trend. So um, same you know, trend. I think there has to be definitely a shift of some kind. Now I would say this as we go. Um, if Brett Goldstein hadn't dropped f bombs uh, while accepting the award, he needs to give the award back because Roy Kent would not approve of accepting an award without an f bomb here and there. So I'm glad. I'm glad that he was believed. Had he not sworn, give it to somebody else. Give it to Keenan Thompson because he can get it any year for SNL, right? That's right. Absolutely. Uh, loved having you on, Chris. Thanks very much. Thank you. Anytime. Uh, Chris Jancelowitz, Global News Entertainment Reporter. Lots to get to this hour. Uh, clips from all the leaders. Dr. Eric Campbell, join us bottom of the hour. Um, and uh, we'll do the Fantastic Four right now where the four of us kick around a uh, subject du jour that's interesting. Meantime, uh, some breaking news uh, from the newsroom. We played a clip earlier. Uh, Dave Bradley's in the newsroom. We played a clip earlier from uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci on one of the Sunday morning U.S. shows talking about moving forward with a vaccine for 5 to 11. And Pfizer has stepped up with a big announcement this morning that should get parents uh, rather excited about what's to come, not in the coming months, but in the coming weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Pfizer says their vaccine works for children between the ages of 5 to 11. Uh, the shot right now is only available for kids who are 12 and older up into the adult years, but for elementary school age kids, Pfizer tested about a third of a dose of a regular adult shot. Um, but even after their second dose, kids who are five to 11 years old developed antibody levels as strong as teens and young adults. So that's pretty big. And it also showed that kids saw fewer side effects like sore arms, fever, or achiness like you and I experienced when we got our shot. Teens experience the same thing. So the kid dosage, because it's lower, uh, you see fewer side effects. So they're going to apply to the Food and Drug Administration in the U.S. by the end of this month for emergency use. And that's usually followed by an application to Canada not mm. long afterwards. So uh, potentially some good news for parents who are waiting to get those shots available for their kids. Now, it's going to be tricky. Uh, let's bring in Shiva Siddiqui now. It's uh, yeah, I wouldn't. I have a fully vaccinated household, so I'm covered. Shiva, your household, Dave's household. You guys don't have to tell me what you would do if you want to. Great. But... But the uptake, that's going to be an interesting call, isn't it? Because I think with teenagers, you're like, well, I want to take my kid here and I want to do that. Right now, there's no no necessary vaccine um, for to, to fly on a trip somewhere. But I think you guys know just on your street and anecdotally, uh, we'll start with you, Dave. Like there's going to be some parents that are going to be like, I'm not going to vaccinate my six year old or seven year old. I'm not worried about a bad outcome. There will be parents that say that. Absolutely. There And people will be waiting a little bit. I want to see how this plays out. I don't want to be the first. I don't want to be a quote unquote guinea pig. You'll have those conversations with with a lot of people. Uh, then again, there on the flip side, there's parents who say, put me at the front of the line. Absolutely. I want my kids fully protected and, and protected quickly. Sheba, what do you see? as the lay of the land for for that 5 to 11 vaccines. Brady, this is huge news for me. I feel so much relief. Now, I've got the equivalent of 100 kids. I've got four kids at home. <laughs> Feels like 100. And three of them are under the age of 12. And I'm I, I'm worried. I'm stressed about it. So as soon as I will be that in that group of parents who are probably going to wait not very long, just like I waited a little bit for my vaccination. I want to make sure that I wasn't first in line to see what happens. But my kids are getting vaccinated. I can't wait. And I just I, I feel so much relief that it's coming sooner than later. So will you tell them that uh, that's great to reveal? Will you tell them that right now that like, you know, 
Uh, hey, that, good news, like in the upcoming weeks, maybe by Halloween, certainly by December, that kind of thing? Or do you sort of wait until oh, wait until you know when you can get it? I've been talking to them about this all summer. Mm. All summer I've been saying, you know, as soon as it comes, you guys, you know, we're going to, you guys are going to get vaccinated because my 12 year old, uh, he, he was vaccinated and I just, I, I'm more relaxed now when I take him places, you know, and I just, I know that every little cough, every little sniffle, I don't have to stress, but I don't have to worry about it as much. Uh, so absolutely. I've been, to, that's a huge conversation mm. in our household. My kids are all aware of it. They were totally bullying my eldest that he was getting a vaccination, <laughs> but now well, they're up. It's, hear that. it's their turn. Uh, well, tell them, you know, play a joke on them. Tell tell them that Pfizer said it has to be in the fleshy part of the butt. It's not in the arm. <laughs> you got to go full Jose. Like it's Jose Canseco and Mark McGuire, Dave, in the Oakland A's uh, clubhouse. You got to you guys put hammer right in there. Yeah, totally. You yeah. know, you know, what's interesting, too, is we got the dreaded email last night, uh, a case in my daughter's daycare. Oh. So she's home self-isolating for 14 days and there's nothing we can do. 14. About 14. So wow. even, even with a test, even with a test, you can't get her back. before, God. And that's so wrong. We're doing this wrong. She's she's probably going to be fine. Oh, no symptoms. No nothing. No symptoms at all. And yeah. So Dave, this is you must be as frustrated as I am in this with, all, with kids. It's. I, it's I actually stepped outside and just screamed yesterday. I'm like, not again. So let's enact, bring your kid to chorus workday for two straight no, I, weeks. I think you, you Can want, she write copy? She's, you know what? She'll tear this place <laughs> apart. That's right. She is yeah. her own president of her own company, that one. Oh, we need that. Okay, leadership's not a bad thing. Have a, <laughs> you know, a lot of cooks in the kitchen. Like, uh, what, what, would, what would change? Our, our, so our Fantastic Four, we looked at a question last night, Sheba, and, uh, and, yes. and want to make it sort of election-oriented. Okay, Greg, Dave, Rob, I have a question for you. Should the voting age be lowered to 16? Greg, what do you think? Yes, I would do that. I would do that. Um, it's uh, In some countries, it works right now. I think there's so much at stake for 16-year-olds. We, we give them a ton of responsibility. Uh, some will handle it better than others, but we could say that about 18 and 21-year-olds. So I'm shocked that more, more Western democracies haven't done it yet. Dave, where I know, are you on this? Uh, I'm going to say no. I know enough adults who don't pay close enough attention to an election um, and and <laughs> sort of hold their noses and go and vote. They're like, I don't know who I'm going to vote for. So I, I think 16-year-olds uh, won't be in tune enough to make a, a, a proper decision. So I'm going to say hold off. 18 is a good age. Rob, where are you on this? I'm going to go with Greg, and I'm going to say yeah, uh, with the caveat that um, we have a better civics uh, class in high school for kids. Oh, that's a good point. See, that, so, that makes a good, very, very good point, actually. Yes. I mean, do you remember what you were doing at 16? How mature were you guys? I was not ready to vote, I don't think. I, th I probably thought I was. I probably thought I knew it all. But I knew nothing, and I was so easily swayed. So in 1970, the legal age to vote in Canada was lowered from 21 to 18. I think 18 is a good age. I don't think a 16-year-old can fully understand what it's like to be a parent focused on schools or a homeowner trying to afford something during a housing crisis or even thinking about the climate or the economy or healthcare. Um, I think they talk about that more, though, don't they? Because they think they got more years left on the planet. Wouldn't a 16-year-old think of that That's more than point. a 70-year-old? Yeah, but I feel like at 16, you feel like you, you know it all and you are easily swayed. I mean, I can't speak for everybody. I'm saying generally my peer group mm. way back when, when we were 16. Uh, and I know that conversation has been happening for, for a long time now, primarily from Jagmeet Singh and Anami Paul. But I just don't think a 16-year-old is ready to vote. I think the concept is too that you start out leaning more left. You do. And, and, and I think the common thought is, 
Um, you're more idealistic. You don't care about what things cost. We know. Well, what do we all say to our kids? Like, do you understand the value of a dollar? Do you understand what this costs? And then as you get older, you realize, oh my God, this is the, okay. So somebody has to pay the bill at the end of the night or at the end of the and, and pay for Christmas presents and pay for this and that. And then you kind of push more towards the middle, least economically. So I think the parties left of center would probably want this more than the party's right of center. I do. That makes a lot of sense. Not everybody's Alex P. Keaton with pictures of Ronald Reagan on family (laughs) ties. They're not. I knew a lot of kids like that when I was a teenager that were more Alex P. Keaton. Really? Really? eh? Of course. Uh, So I don't don't agree with that. Pictures of Stephen Harper up in the kitchen while they're having breakfast. Wearing his vest. Although it was mid-90s, so (laughs) Stephen Harper still wasn't. I, my my deal would be like let's let this happen, but I want to bring grade thirteen back. I'm a big advocate of that. I want one more year with my kid at home. I, I think kids aren't ready for university at four years. I agree. Yeah. I agree with. I you think there. that's nuts. Like I in the states, like I, I needed that fifth year. I, I that was a massively important twelve months for me not to go to university. Yeah, that OAC year. I think Holy it changed everything. Yeah. And then we you can drink did, legally, too. We all did OAC year, too. We all did OAC we in the show. We all did an OAC. Wow. Yeah, it's a highly educated show, Rob. I mean, yeah. I don't know about... <sighs> I don't want to put ourselves up against other shows. We do What Happened When Now. Uh, and we should, uh, Rob Trevison here as well, our technical director, we should introduce uh, the fourth member of our team. Uh, she joins the show now in a full-time capacity. This is her first day. That is one Sheba Siddiqui. Sheba Siddiqui used to be, Dave, I don't know if you know, like a, like a, a beat cop. She was a police detective for 30 years, solved some huge cases. <laughs> and I'm reading the wrong bio. I'm sorry. That's not, Sheba, that's not true, is it? No, I don't, that's I, bang Why on. would someone put this in front of me? I'm just Greg, reading what's here. Bang, bang on. You've got it. That's me. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to join the team. I'm really excited about uh, what we're going to do. And on election day, no less, huh? I know. And it's funny because I, as as you know, I was with Alan Carter for a few years and I started with Professionally. Him. I think we should point that out. Professionally. <laughs> yes, professionally. <laughs> um, no one would claim otherwise. <laughs> and I started with him on election day. So it's interesting. I'm starting with you on election day. I'm really excited for this. Oh, wow. Okay. So the next election in March 2023, you can get a new show also. You can keep moving. Keep moving <laughs> Let's along. See what ha- Let's see what happens today. Let's keep it going. All right. So here's what we do. Dave gives us a bunch of stuff from uh, the past and, and often stuff there's a lot of stuff about cars in there you know he's a big car guy so we look for stories about cars and and races and I love the cars. carriages and wagons and things <laughs> like that he's a gearhead is what he is right 100 percent. as a matter of fact we'll kick it off today in 1893 charles durier and his brother road tested the first american-made gasoline-powered automobile isn't that interesting they're it- they're like 20 years behind europe <laughs> Oh, so they uh, Europe was twenty years earlier with a gas car. Yeah, exactly. And these cars still couldn't go very terribly fast, oh, could they? God, no, no. They were, uh, and, and nor were, was the infrastructure there for roads. And you're still driving along cattle paths, and you know, wow, it was filled with potholes and everything. When, so. when do you guys think the first gas gauge got put in? And when do you think the first time, like a, a, a wife turned over to a husband and said, "You're really pushing it, like at the E, <laughs> like you're not in the right, sp- we're gonna run out. You don't know where you're going, and we're gonna run out. Yeah, Both yeah. those things at once." It was probably on that road test. Since the beginning of time. Men have a problem with that, Sheba, don't they? Have you, like, Would you compare women running out of gas to men? I feel like it's about an eight to one ratio. I never see women walking down the road with a gas can, but I see tons of guys doing it. Now we plan ahead, although I have run out of gas once, I will admit. Once. I was like eight months pregnant. I just wanted to get home. <laughs> <I> was, <laughs> that I'm must have been you, a sight. 
I was too, I just wanted to get home. I was, th I thought I could make it and I did not. And then what did I do? I called my husband and said, what do I do? <laughs> Which is terrible. That's, I admit what, at the that's time. what we are there for. Among, among other things. <laughs> <laughs> On this day, 1973, that's when Billie Jean King beat Bobby Riggs in a tennis match. This was an, an, an important one because it was the Battle of the Sexes held at the Houston Astrodome. Yeah, and he's 55, and she, I'm looking up the ages, 29. It's a big age difference. Like it Riggs, is. Riggs, Riggs was a great player. He won Wimbledon. He won a bunch of Grand Slams, but in the 50s. And Billie Jean's in the prime of her career. And he shot his mouth off, this and that, of right? Of course, yeah, And yeah. then got his ass kicked. Yeah, totally. But, it, it, I mean, it was built up pretty huge. It was, you know, men versus women. Who's going to, you know, two greats going <laughs> at it head to head, for sure. Yeah, I wonder if we get to the point now where that could ever happen again. I don't I, know if it could. I don't think like, it could. Like McEnroe's walked that line a couple times yeah. where he's like, oh, I don't know. I could beat the 100th best woman, and it's it's a dangerous game to play. It is. The, I mean, bodies are different. No yeah. doubt about it. Yeah, 100%. Uh, on this day, 19, actually, it was on yesterday, 1990, but we wanted to throw this one in. Yeah. Goodfellas premiered in theaters. We got the clip for that? This is my all-time favorite clip from Goodfellas. This is difficult to choose. Yeah. Okay, Rob. We can wait. We're good. Because I saw the movie in the theater. The scene stuck with me. I still quote it around the house. Do you? This was a great movie. 30 year anniversary. I can imagine you quote her. I can imagine you quote everything around the house. Yeah. Like All music, right, here's movies, the clip. sports. I finally have it. Oh, this is great. Okay. Did Tommy ever tell you about my painting? No. Look at this. Yeah, it's beautiful. I like this one. The dog, one dog goes one way and the other dog goes the other way. One is going east and the other one is going west. So what? And this guy's saying, what do you want from me? Guy's got a nice head of white hair. Look how beautiful with the dog. It looks the same. They have... Looks like somebody we know. Without the beard, no, it's him. So they've just killed Billy Bats. There's a painting of two dogs, great-looking dogs, in a boat. I want the painting, and I'm not sure if my wife will let me hang it in our downstairs rec room. But I've looked at it on eBay, like Dave and Sheba and Rob, 20 times, and I don't know what's like. I need permission, I think, to order it to hang it up. How much is it? Like you can get it for like seventy bucks. It's oh, like okay. a, it's like a print. Some nights she's just gonna come home. She never goes to the basement. She's just gonna see it. It's gonna be up there already. <laughs> I'm not gonna make. I'm not gonna ask anymore. I'm just gonna go ahead and do it. Do it. Go it's, ahead and it, do it. It is always easier to ask for forgiveness than it is permission. <laughs> That's how I live my life. One hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. And so to finish things off on this day, 1980, Ozzy Osbourne released "Blizzard of Oz" featuring <laughs> this one. I think it's the most po I think it's stuck the test of time because you always hear this at oh. like a football game. My kids sing this. They know this, do they? Yeah, totally. 100%. My my uh, eight-year-old. He, he starts singing uh, the, 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 the uh, <laughs> chorus of it. Is That's the, awesome. Alex it, Pearson uses it as one of her uh, show beds. Well, crazy train. No pun intended. <laughs> Alex is very sane. I, I tell the listeners all the time. I'm like, no, there's been testing done and she's fine. But I would say that this was the first concert I ever wanted to go to. And my dad, at age eight, wouldn't take me. Of course. Now, there was that story about him biting the head off a bat. It, was it a d dove or a bat? You're right. I yeah. think he just had bats hanging around. But yeah. that's better than Alice Cooper, who's got, like, boa constrictors rolling all over the stage. He's I don't want anything them, to do though. with he's that. He's not biting them. He's not, he's not biting the boa constrictors. <laughs> Wasn't he, though? Like, he could have been kissing them, I think. Things, didn't he? I don't think there was any violence against no. snakes. No, I think the most shocking thing he did was wear makeup on stage. Yeah, okay. Yeah. 
Um, that's a great question about the bat and the dove. Maybe it, maybe it does get confused a little bit. Am I confusing the, it with Prince He and did doves? bite the head off a live dove in 1981 in there Los Angeles. Mm. But maybe I wanted to go to the concert before that happened. Maybe he, you know, the London Gardens wouldn't have been the right opportunity to bite nine the head off old? a live dove. Yeah, you were nine. You were in <laughs> I'm just like, does this nine. happen no at way. every concert? Yeah, probably. Do the artists get rabies shots after <laughs> every concert? Like, is Kenny Rogers getting a ra- Nobody knows Rest for sure. Rest in peace, Kenny Rogers. Okay, voting day. Thanks for checking out the Toronto Today podcast. Really appreciate you doing so. You can subscribe where you get your podcasts. You can rate us where you get your podcasts. Highly encourage you to do that. That helps us tons, whether you leave a good review or a bad review. It helps us. So do that. Constructive criticism is wonderful. Thanks again for checking out the podcast. We're back on air live tomorrow with full election results. What we know is what you'll know tomorrow morning, beginning at 530 on Toronto Today on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.